0: This is Front Row, and I'm your host, James Whiteside, principal dancer and choreographer with American Ballet Theatre and the author of Center Center. Take a seat in the front row as I discuss the creative process and the business of creativity with the world's brightest stars. Not only is Isabella Boylston my best friend and frequent dance partner, she is an international ballet star. She was born Hilda Isabella Boylston, but now goes simply by Bella. She has been a principal dancer with American Ballet Theatre since 2014 and has danced nearly all the leading roles in the company's classical repertoire. Bella has been a guest star with the Paris Opera Ballet, the Royal Danish Ballet, the Marinsky Ballet, and more. She has hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram and TikTok and partners with Nike, Bobby Brown, Olay, Clarence, Chanel, and more on sponsored content as an influencer. Bella is a bona fide hustler. Let's find out how she does it all. Welcome to not the stage right side but the front row. Cinderton. Ah, the front
1: row. I don't like sitting in the front row because I can't see people's feet.
0: That's true. that's true. The Joyce has a very notorious front row. you know it's like a cowboy view, you know like knees up. <laughs> oh
1: knees up, love it.
0: So I'm really appreciative uh of you doing this with me, Cind. And for those of you listening, uh, you know, for the first time hearing Isabella's voice, and I call her Cindy, and I think it would be smart to just start the whole damn thing with talking about where Cindy came from.
1: Oh, the Cindy uh nickname. Well, it's not a very good story, and I feel like we should invent a better one, but Literally one day you texted me and you said, hi, Cindy, or hey, Cindy, you want to get some pasta or something? And I said, sure, Cindy. And that was pretty much how Cindy was born.
0: And Cindy was born. And so we refer to one (laughs) another as Cindy, which is childish and, you know, apropos of everything. Uh, And the plural is the Cindy's. And during the pandemic, we had a ballet class that we did on our Instagrams that was called Cindy's Ballet Class. And it was wildly popular. And we got to raise money for various charities. And it kept us moving and connected. That's right. So uh, I want to talk about names a little bit more. And I'd like to ask about your original name. Will you tell my listeners what your original name
1: is? Sure. So my full name is Hildur Isabella Boylston. Hildur is an old um, Viking name. Actually, I'm named after my great grandmother, Hildur. Um, She was Icelandic. And apparently the name Hildur means like battle, battle something, battle woman, battle warrior. I don't know.
0: Battle scarred. (laughs) Battle
1: scarred. But anyways, I think Growing up with the name Hilder was definitely formative because it was always a conversation starter. People always wanted to know what it meant and what kind of name it was, and I don't know, I think maybe it gave me a sort of quirky identity,
0: yeah, do you feel like you leaned into that?
1: Maybe a little bit um, I don't know, I really don't know, but anyway, so then when I joined the a b T studio company, I was. On tour uh at White Oak in Florida. And um John Meehan, the director at the time, and I were discussing, we were sitting around with a bunch of the dancers and we were just like all saying our middle names. And um John Meehan really liked the name Isabella and he liked the alliteration of Isabella Boylston. So yeah, that night, I without talking to my parents or anything, I pretty much made a split-second decision. That I'd go with Isabella. And it's been Isabella ever since. I probably wouldn't make the change if it was me today. But I do think Isabella Boylston has a nice ring to it.
0: It sure does. It sounds like an international star ballerina to me.
1: <laughs> Thanks, and can you hear Dan doing the dishes? I
0: absolutely can. This is okay, live podcasting.
1: Sorry. It's it's because of the headphones. Yeah. And we're even separated by a wall. What should I do?
0: It's fine. You know, this is real life. People have lives to live. We've got podcasts to record while people are doing the dishes. And that's just being alive in the 21st century. Is that where we're at? I
1: know.
0: Wait. So um, I also, speaking of names, I was in California this past weekend at my boyfriend's uh, college best friend's wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was my first lesbian wedding. Isn't that exciting?
1: That's so exciting. It was so fun. I had
0: met either bride um, and they were both lovely and it was a beautiful wedding and I had a great time and it was at a, it was at the national exchange hotel in Nevada city, which is um, Ah. it's like where people used to stay during the gold rush. And they would like, it was like a bank or something. I don't know. They would like bring in the gold and get money for it or something. I, I didn't do all the research, but at the hotel, they have a ledger and in the ledger, they have all the names of the people who have signed into the national exchange, like since the 1800s. And on the date that I arrived, the ledger was opened to that date. And halfway down the page was seemingly my great or great great grandfather's name, George That's W. Insane. Whiteside. Isn't that bonkers? That is bonkers? so cool. Yeah.
1: Wow. I wonder if there's any way to find out if he traveled over there. Like, do you know what he did? Was he like a minor?
0: I asked my dad about it and he was like, I don't know of any white sides participating in the gold rush, but it's a possibility, you know? Um, I mean, Whiteside is a very popular British surname.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: But it, it's, it's, An interesting possibility. And the coincidence of it being on the exact date that I checked in is wild.
1: That is so, so wild. I I don't know what that means, but it sounds very cosmic. There must be a meaning. Maybe you should go consult a fortune teller.
0: I mean, that sounds like a fun (laughs) Thursday night to me. (laughs) Sounds (laughs) really fun. The history around the gold rush is actually very brutal and unpleasant. And I think Hollywood has romanticized it. Even in my mind, like I, I, I've been seeing media about it since I was a kid. I remember a Bugs Bunny cartoon about the gold rush. It's wild.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, back to names though. Yes. I want to ask you if you feel like you would be a different dancer if your name was still Hilder on the marquee. Oh
1: my gosh. That's a really hard question. I don't think so.
0: I don't think so I either. I think would still be me. You're already Hilder. I'm already
1: Hilder, for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd like to pivot to social media. Beloved social media. I bet you're Uh, thrilled.
1: Beloved.
0: Can you tell me what made you start your Instagram and your YouTube and and what it has provided you? So just why? Why did you start?
1: Well, I think I got Instagram because my ex-boyfriend, he had it. Um, And this is like, I mean, so long ago. Maybe like what? 12 years ago. Yeah. At least 13 years ago. But yeah, at that time, you know, it was just I didn't really even know what it was. And I was Isabella B 13. And I was just posting like ultra filtered photos <laughs> of like random things, with <laughs> the little borders and things. Of
0: course, I remember <laughs> it well.
1: Yeah. And I guess then. Years later, I kind of started to understand that it could be used as a marketing tool.
0: And how would you define the brand you created?
1: <laughs> brand, I don't know. Honestly, I kind of hate referring to myself as a brand, but I mean, I think it's more about just like having control over what you put out there about yourself, especially when, as the followers started to like build up, then I just had to be more conscious of, or I chose to sort of post less and less stuff that was really personal. Like I don't post about Dan all that much, um, which is just mainly because I, that's my private life. And um, I feel more comfortable just posting about like my career and dancing. And obviously like the Cindy's (laughs) that's so intertwined with our job that, um,
0: you know, for me when i started social media i was still in boston ballet and it was very much the same i would take pictures of you know garbage on the street and call it art and then when i moved over to abt i saw a huge jump in my followership and this was you know it went from like hundreds to like a thousand you know and i realized that simply joining abt was Like something that could give me a leg up in a sort of brandy type space. And so I felt more inspired to post photos and videos of dancing when the video capability was added in. And, uh, yeah, it just took a, it takes a long time to build up a followership on the interwebs, but you know, it certainly paid me back. That's for sure. Cause I feel or I felt. And continue to feel, but to a lesser degree, very judged for being an artist in like a classical space who also focuses on social media. And uh for so long, I felt very judged for for the work I put in, for the photo shoots on weekends that I did to grow my followership. And now that it's become a more widely socially accepted thing. I feel like I can be a little bit more openly proud of what I've built and also be really proud of the income that it brings because we work hard to build these brands and we're being rewarded for that, which feels kind of exciting and good, frankly.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think another way of looking at it too that sort of offsets the feeling, I mean, I feel the same as you or sometimes I feel like I'm almost... In a way, like maybe degrading myself as an artist by like posting something like really goofy or like jumping on a TikTok trend because it can feel so like frivolous. But at the same time, I'm like, if I'm showing young dancers that like it's okay to like have fun as well as taking your art really seriously and like express yourself in a different medium, then I don't think that's a bad thing. And also, it does translate to ticket sales for ballet companies. And that's definitely a good thing.
0: Absolutely. The more butts and seats, the better, if you ask
1: me. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think it's really hard to find the limit of what you're comfortable with on the internet. So how how do you know what to do and what not to do?
1: Well, I feel like that's where kind of like knowing what you stand for comes into play, like whether you want to call that like your brand or just like your, I mean, like your values. And I kind of like, think like, okay, does this thing that I want to post, does that align with what like my values are and what I want to communicate about myself? And then if so, then I'll post it. And if not, then I won't.
0: Absolutely. And you spoke earlier about people maybe not taking you as seriously because you do show the sillier side of yourself on the internet. Um, as you age, uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, pardon my tactlessness, um, as we age as dancers, something that I struggle with is continuing to show my silly, frivolous self, which very much still exists because I feel pressure to grow up. Do you feel similarly?
1: I guess I know what you mean. Like, it can feel like TikTok or some things very much like the arena of Gen Z. and <laughs> yeah. Millennials. Yeah. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know about that. I think, yeah, for me, it's just more like more feeling that maybe, yeah, just not wanting for people to like not take me seriously or something.
0: Well, thankfully, you have the chops to back it up. <laughs> that vice sure versa.
1: Helps. vice versa. I mean, and we work so hard, like in the studio first and foremost, but on top of that, it's just like another full-time job running your own social media. I now hire Cy who's um a quarter ballet member with ABT. Obviously, you know that, but Cy like edits all my videos and he basically manages my social media, which is a huge time saver and just helps immensely.
0: And have you noticed a surge in your followership uh, upon hiring him?
1: Well, definitely my TikTok has grown really quickly. Mm. And I think that's pretty much due to Sai because he, I don't know, knows what to do. Yeah,
0: he's the ideas man. (laughs) Sai is amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's awesome.
0: Do you feel like uh, being a part of social media has cost you anything?
1: Definitely time. And I feel like... I would say probably the biggest sacrifice is just like sometimes feeling like it's really hard to delineate your life into like work and free time and leisure. Mm. Like I feel so bad because sometimes I'll be like, it's the weekend, but I'm still like thinking about posting or creating content or whatever. And like poor Dan has to deal with me just like being glued to my phone and And I think it also sometimes social media, like the work, one of the worst parts about it is like it gives, it can give you a transactional sort of relationship with experiences where like instead of just being fully in the moment and like enjoying this beautiful waterfall or something, you're like thinking like, oh, what content can I get here? And like that's, I don't know, that really bums me out. And it also is a bit like, yeah, it's just depressing. But then again, like, I have the ability to just like turn my phone off and take a break. Um, but I feel like if you're not really conscious, it's really easy to just sort of like bleed those two sides of your life together into one in a way that's like really unhealthy. Actually,
0: I feel very similarly. And I took a step recently that I have really enjoyed. Uh, and I bought a wifi telephone for my house.
1: That's really cool.
0: And it connects to the Wi-Fi. I don't have like a landline proper, but I leave my cell phone in my bedroom. Uh-huh. And then, you know, while I'm making dinner or watching a TV show or something, you know, the people who have my landline may call it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think only like four people have the number. So, AKA, don't I have call me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think but, I lost it. So no, hopefully but, I saved it.
0: It's got to be in your phone.
1: Oh, this is good, though, because if I ever have an emergency in the middle of the night, it'll wake you up, unlike your iPhone, which will be on airplane mode or silent mode.
0: Well, you know, if you you call someone's phone while it's on do not disturb twice, the call goes through. But it still just vibrates, you know, but if you want an audible wake up, you may call my landline.
1: Ah, interesting. Very,
0: very (laughs) indeed. So I'd like to talk about some other things that you may be working on right now. Do you have any projects outside of ABT that you want to talk about?
1: Um, Well, I've just been dancing a ton. I got back from Argentina where I was performing Romeo and Juliet at Teatro Cologne, and that was amazing. And um, sometimes I feel like when you go to a different company and perform, like, there's something really like freeing about it in a way. Obviously, like ABT is like my home and my family and I love everyone so much. But growing up in a company, people see, I think can have like preconceived notions about you or see you in a certain way. And then when you go somewhere else, you just feel like unconstrained by that.
0: And why do you think that is?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think it's just like how it works. It's like the difference between like, Being somewhere where everyone knows you very intimately and then going somewhere where people don't know you at all.
0: And do you fear stronger or lesser judgment because of that?
1: Maybe it's like there's less care. Yeah,
0: that's probably what it is. You don't know them, they don't know you, and you're not as affected by their judgment
1: yeah and i mean i'm not saying like i feel so loved and like supported and respected by everyone at abt honestly um i think it's probably just like my own my own insecurity being projected
0: i understand that i i feel the same way when i visit other companies and and travel just you know like when we go and take class with paris opera ballet I always just have such a good time and, you know, you do feel like you can show off a little bit and it feels good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Flexing. Oh, yeah. And then I just shot um, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen's newest video, which was really fun. We shot at the United Palace Theater and that comes out. I'm not sure what comes out first, this podcast or the music video, but hopefully it'll um, come together well in the final edit.
0: For my listeners, Carly Rae Jepsen is a Canadian pop star that rose to fame with the hit song Call Me Maybe, which is ubiquitous. And uh, this new song is called Surrender My Heart from her latest album, which is called The Loneliest Time. And I recommend you go listen to it if you like pop music because it is quality pop music. And Bella had the chance to be featured in the newest music video and I cannot wait to see it I am such a fan of Carly and obviously Cindy as well And sorry Bella, I have to call you by your name I suppose in this podcast okay
1: whatever, well then call me (laughs) Hilder if you must
0: Uh, another nickname that I have for Hilder is (laughs) Himi And and she calls me Satan Cat
1: (laughs) so Satan cat if you
0: will we do have fun we okay. both love cats we do and would you like to talk about your cat said everyone slash no one ever
1: i mean sure do you want to know about my cat well <laughs> we, dan and i adopted her um a year ago she was three when we adopted her actually we started out fostering her from this uh organization in queens called meow squad I guess she used to live near JFK in a cat colony, and, like, she was pretty rough. But, yeah, she's really shy. And when we first got her, she hid behind the toilet for, like, at least two to three months. And I was getting kind of worried that, like, something was seriously wrong with her. Um, But she was so cute. And, And then, yeah, just me and Dan obviously just like couldn't let her go and there she's meowing right on cue <laughs> she's
0: meowing for some tender vittles
1: exactly and now she's started snuggling a bit like if we were watching white lotus last night and she was like laying on us and purring Aww. and it's just like the cutest thing ever
0: incredibly adorable um i would really like to talk about your you know i don't know if i'm allowed to talk about this but your documentary
1: oh yeah i think we can talk about it
0: Hopefully. Okay, yeah. maybe not giving too much away, but can you tell me how it came about? With whom you are working, etc.
1: Yeah, so um, the director John Avnet, who has had a long illustrious career in Hollywood, um, he did Risky Business, Fried Green Tomatoes. Um, more recently, he pro- was a producer on Black Swan. I mean, many, many, many movies, and uh, he like, I guess, I think he had maybe uh, read an interview that I did at the time that I was Jennifer Lawrence's body double for Red Sparrow. And then after that sort of started following my career and for whatever reason found me to be a compelling subject and reached (laughs) out and was like, I'd like to do a documentary on you. Um, And we became friends and I mean, what I love so much about John is just, like, his genuine interest and sort of, like, curious student-like approach. Like, he's just so interested in learning about the art of ballet and this world that we're in. And he's incredibly intelligent. And um, also, uh, big deal, Jennifer Garner is producing. So pretty cool. We have a sizzle reel. Um, I mean, obviously james is a big part of it as well and um his injury and um it's in the works and i think we're they're gonna start like having meetings and selling it soon so hopefully it will have a platform and more funding soon and i don't know i still have a hard time believing like i'm not fishing i'm i literally do not
0: necessarily
1: see what is so interesting about my life like yeah I think ballet and the ballet world is super interesting and there's a lot there especially the thing you know the side of it that maybe isn't always that glamorous but yeah I don't know I believe John is a very gifted storyteller and can make something compelling, even if I don't see what's so compelling about myself. Okay, I'm probably doing a really shit job trying to sell my documentary right okay. now. Okay. Guys, it's going to be riveting. You are going to be on the edge of your seat. It is going to be breathtaking.
0: Um, okay, I'm going to do a little talking this
1: up. Here. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
0: Here, so I have okay. interviewed with John for this documentary a number of times. And the questions he asks are so... um. Pointed in the best way. And I feel like he really knows how to get to the essence of a person. And so I I have great faith that not only is he going to sort of expose ballet in its beauty, um, but we're going to get to know you and probably me very well throughout the film. And Hollywood so often focuses on the negatives of ballet because they are highly glamorous they glamorize eating disorders they glamorize physical mutilation they glamorize being mistreated at work and sexual misconduct over and over and over and over again and so i think to have a project that is showing reality in a very poignant thoughtful way is going to be riveting truly as you say yeah
1: I, really, so that's I my think, commercial. Yeah. Thanks. I think it's yeah. going to be really cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, I would like to know separately from the documentary, you have a lot of things that you like to do for work. Uh, when are you happiest in your work, whatever work you're doing?
1: I mean, I'm so happy when I'm in the studio with Arena Kolpakova, my coach and like mentor. And she's like just everything to me. When I'm in the studio with her and I feel like actual progress is being made, it's so rewarding and fulfilling. Like when I feel like I'm making new discoveries in a role that I've done a lot, like Odette Odile and feeling like I am getting to the next level. It's just definitely one of the best parts of our job. And I would also say like, working on a new creation, like getting to perform um, Single Eye, the Alonzo King piece that we did last season. When you're doing work that you believe in so much and you can really immerse yourself in it and the choreographer is allowing you to find your own way as an artist and an individual, it just, yeah, there's nothing else like that.
0: Amazing. I support all of those and agree with everything. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Thanks. (laughs) Um,
0: How do you deal with outside criticism, whether it be online or in newspapers or blogs? Great
1: question, (laughs) Sint. If there's something that I know is really toxic, like I know there are, you know, there's a blogger out there that just like hates me and wants to rip me to shreds and, no matter what I do. Like they don't even have to come see the show because they already know the shitty review that they're going to give me. Yeah, I mean, if there's something toxic like that, I will avoid it. I will not engage with it because like it's just hurtful to me and I know that it is complete BS. <laughs> but if it's something that I feel like could be constructive to me, then yeah, I'll read it. It's weird. I think like as... Artists were so sensitive. And at least with myself, I find that I'm more inclined to believe like negative things that I hear about myself than positive things that people tell me, which is so weird because, like, I feel like I'm so lucky to be surrounded with so much love and support in my life, like in all areas of my life. But for some reason, Maybe it's like a little bit of an imposter complex or what is that called? Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, Where, yeah, like I'll, I'll find excuses or like if something good happens to me, like say I, like when I got invited to guest at Paris opera, I'll find like weird excuses for why they would invite me to do that instead of being like, oh, it's because I'm like a good dancer. It's so weird. But then, if I re, if I hear something like negative, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's must be true." It's really that's very common among
0: artists. Yes, you know the the insecurity, the the deep care that can breed that sort of insecurity and self doubt, and it's really difficult. You know, specifically for dancers because we are confronted by our image all day, every day. That's that's really what we're doing is just looking at what's wrong with us and how we can improve our craft. Totally. And I think it's just bred into us sort of
1: from such a young age. Yeah.
0: As artists. And it's hard to accept that someone might want to hire you because you're really good at what you do.
1: Right. It's totally crazy. Like, well, I actually, so I'm in, I've been in therapy for like, how long has it been? Like two years? I don't know. i I've kind of like taken a little time off because I've been feeling really good. But I started going because I was having such extreme anxiety and Mm -hmm. like intrusive thoughts, which are very disturbing. If anyone listening has had them, you will know. And it was during COVID. And I think I just wasn't, I didn't have dance to like literally exhaust my body and mind every day. And so I was just like spiraling. And I think therapies helped me a lot to understand like where my a lot of my insecurity and like perfectionism comes from, mm. but like, I don't know. My therapist has given me a lot of mantras. Like one of them is just to say I'm not perfect and that's okay. <laughs> Cause that's like really good. Yeah. I think probably anyone that has like gotten to where we're at in ballet has insane standards for themselves. Unattainable.
0: And also, we're performers, so we are in the moment judging ourselves. So having a mantra like, I'm not perfect and that's okay, can allow you to move beyond minor imperfections in your performance, which are sometimes three hours long. So you have to be able to overcome insecurity in the moment to be able to give a good performance, and that takes practice.
1: It really does. And I think especially after like COVID coming back to performing just because we were away from the stage for so long. And like, I don't know how you feel after your injury now being away from the stage for an extended period of time again. But yeah, I feel like I'm, it's been very interesting. I'm learning a lot.
0: Yeah, me too. I really am. I'm, I've never had an injury like this and I have not uh, lived through a, a pandemic before. So it's a bit of a double whammy Yeah, that I am getting so much new information, not only about the world and the society we live in, but about my own behaviors and my own expectations. And it's, it's a lot to process, but it it's all, it's all working.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think another thing that helps me is just thinking about how like, just looking at my career as like one long process. And so like when I go on stage in a show, that's not like the end all be all. That's not, I try not to look at it as like such, a, what's the word? I don't know. Just, It's still, even though that performance is the culmination of all the rehearsal or whatever, it's still part of my process. So if I have a good show or a bad show, it doesn't matter because I'm still going to keep working. I'm still going to keep trying to improve. And good show, bad show, you get experience and you learn something.
0: Absolutely. You know, I was thinking about this song from Rent, you know, (laughs) Seasons of Love. Do you know that song? Yeah,
1: I love, I mean, I love all the songs in Rent.
0: I was thinking about that song and thinking about seasons and, you know, in general. And I feel like as I get older, I realize that my life has many seasons and that my career has seasons as well. And I can't look at my life and my career as a whole. Yeah. And then it's more helpful for me to break it down into these small seasons with victories and losses and vulnerabilities. And it's really helped me understand different areas of my life and different time periods in my
1: life. That's really cool. It's beautiful, Sind.
0: Ah, rent.
1: Ah, rent. (laughs) Take me out tonight. (laughs) Meow. Um,
0: (laughs) Meow. So, you know, you are on social media. I'm on social media. We are performers. We are um, Z-list public figures. (laughs) Do you fear cancellation and retribution from being a public figure? And how do you find daily peace knowing that uh, the wrong sentiment or something could be misconstrued or you could really just mess up? How do you find daily peace with that?
1: I mean, definitely it is stressful. Like, I feel like in a weird way it plays into like perfectionism because it's like Mm. people, they want you to be like, Quote unquote, real on social media, but then they're also can be just so unforgiving. And I don't know, I think I'm naturally like a pretty cautious person in a lot of ways. I tend to like really just be anxious about the future all the time and like overanalyze. So I think in a way that helps me to like be cautious in what I post. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how to answer the question. Just I'm doing my best and I'm also doing my best to like, just listen and like always be learning and evolving and not get like stuck in my ways.
0: Yes. I feel similarly. And you know, when the, I hear older people talk about gas prices and things, I I sort of feel sad because I feel like in it it's our responsibility as productive members of society to understand that change happens and to be a part of it as opposed to be to being opposed to everything, you know, from 40 year 40 years old on. Yeah. And someone said something really meaningful that was it was like always follow the children or always follow the youth. And while, you know, they may be naive, I think their hearts are generally in the right place. Hmm. And I, I I feel like it's something to remember, at least something that I will practice, hopefully.
1: Yeah. Just or at least to just like keep an open mind and also have the perspective that like every generation is always like lamenting about how things were better in their day. But actually things probably weren't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I don't think they were.
1: I don't think so.
0: Period. <laughs> so I would like to know a little bit about your ballet gig work. You travel to other companies and you do galas and festivals and things. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I'd like to bring the business into this a little bit more. I'd like to know how you negotiate your fees and conditions for outside performances.
1: Definitely. I mean, yeah. Going, I mean, going back to like what you were saying earlier, we were talking about social media and how sometimes like you can feel like you're almost like downgrading or like selling yourself out Mm. as an artist. But I'm also like, what's wrong with me wanting to be a businesswoman too? And I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. Why can't you be an art. I think a lot of artists in the past have been really savvy with business as well. Yes. And I think you can do both. I and agree. It's nothing to be ashamed of.
0: I do, however, judge the way people do it.
1: <laughs> I like the way
0: some people do it and mm. I do not like the way others do it. I find some to be chic and interesting and sort of self-actualized and real-seeming. And I find others to be Cringe.
1: Cringe. Yeah, I know what you're I know what you're saying.
0: And that's okay. And that's Get okay your life. too.
1: Because I'm sure to some people I'm cringe. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So like if you don't like it, that's you're entitled to your opinion. Mm-hmm.
0: I just don't want to know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't tell me and hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wait, what was the question? Sorry, I feel like I'm just taught we're talking about social media ad nauseum here. No,
0: it's fine. It's it it's hard to negotiate emotionally, frankly. Um, I want to know how you negotiate your fees and your conditions for outside ballet things. So like not ABT stuff.
1: Oh, okay. So well, I have an agent, um, Lauren. She used to be a dancer actually, and now she works with a lot of um influencers are like creative people. Um, and her and Max, my other agent, they, uh, work together and negotiate like all my brand deals. Like for example, right now I'm my next brand deal that I have is like a partnership with Bulgari, the jewelry. (laughs) So yeah, they help me with that thankfully, because I would not, that is way out of my league to be able to negotiate a contract like that. But I do negotiate my own ballet gigs. And unfortunately, there's just like not a ton of money in ballet. So I usually feel like I'd rather just be the bad guy and negotiate it myself and then not have to give up a cut of like my very hard earned um, dollars.
0: Yeah. And your minimal dollars for ballet gigs to a third party. I absolutely understand that. Um, Can I ask when and how your partnership with your agents came about?
1: Yeah, definitely. So actually we were introduced through a mutual friend um, and it just, yeah, worked out really well. Lauren was actually joining this agency. And so she was looking to like build up her client roster and, Uh I just thought she was really intelligent and warm and um, it just seemed like a great fit. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. And it's been working out really well. I I do think it's difficult for dancers to know where to look. The advice I would give to dancers who are like wanting to do more um, brand sponsorships and stuff is unfortunately, I think the best thing you can do is like build up your social media following which is not like a great answer because it's a ton of work, but I feel like nowadays that's what brands are looking at. Absolutely. Like Alex Wong, for instance, my, our friend, Alex was in ABT studio company with me. He's done an amazing job building up his presence on TikTok and reels. And like, he still performs and, you know, does a bunch of different stuff, but he's just like killing it.
0: Yeah. I, I was going to ask you actually at which point is a person ready for an agent? And you, you answered that already, but I'm just going to reiterate you have to have a sort of realized thing that you can offer. And so for, for us in, in our socials, we, we have dance and we have an inside look at, at what we do in a big, very famous ballet company but we also have done years and years of hard work building up those brands.
1: And it's frustrating because it feels like we have worked so hard our whole lives to become the dancers that we are. And so then it feels like that should be enough. And like that should be enough to have society appreciate us as they do like professional athletes and stuff. But because ballet just isn't in the mainstream media as much, The way that you can, like, get yourself out there is with social media. Exactly.
0: And it works, frankly. Um, I'd love to know if you have any stories or, like, nightmare stories about gigs. Like, whether it be a sort of sponsorship gig or a performance gig somewhere.
1: Oof! I mean... I would say the one nutcracker we did. I was
0: going to say that. <laughs>
1: we did a nutcracker gig and the hotel they put us up in was a red roof inn that was also a meth lab. Yeah, People were literally cooking meth in the hotel. There were bullet holes um when we checked in. Yeah. Blood and on then, a towel.
0: Yeah, we got into the bathroom and our towels were covered in blood and we <laughs> we Took our bags out of the hotel. We walked out the front door and went down to the Ritz.
1: We crossed. Like, we,
0: <laughs> we crossed we a took, highway. We took our
1: suitcases <laughs> and crossed like a twenty lane highway to get to the hotel, and then just paid for it ourselves, which was basically <laughs> our entire paycheck.
0: <laughs> yep, it was worth it though. I it was, I, worth uh, it. It was a, a good time. So that brings me to my next question: <laughs> When are you going to write a book?
1: Oh, dear. Well, as I've already said, I'm very cautious and restrictive with like putting, I don't know, putting myself out there is terrifying. And honestly, the main reason is because I wouldn't want to hurt anyone else.
0: And why does it have to be a book of your personal stories? Why can't it be a dancer's guide to social media or a cookbook or whatever? A a, Ball- ballerina and her cat
1: cindy you know i'm not that good of a cook <laughs> what, what? it's it. gonna be one page my cookbook would be a pamphlet and it's literally <laughs> just spaghetti carbonara
0: it's, it's just chrissy tegan's recipes exactly, reprinted on exactly. like ballerina
1: it's, headers oh my God. I, uh. I writing fiction sounds incredibly daunting because it's I feel like it's such an art and there are people that just do that so well. And using my own life is just like, I guess it seems like the lowest hanging fruit, but it would be, I feel like it would be so difficult to tell my story without like hurting anyone. Of course, like I would not want to write any kind of like slam piece, but I just want it to be true also.
0: Would you consider hiring somebody to write it for you?
1: Probably not, because I actually really enjoy writing, yeah. and I think I am a pretty good writer. Yeah. I mean, certainly not like Pulitzer Prize <laughs> material, but...
0: <laughs> you have me both.
1: Uh, uh. uh.
0: All right, so <clears throat> before I sign off, Cinderton, I would like to know what you think your career will evolve into. What's beyond the stage?
1: Business. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about I that. I think no, beyond the stage. I really don't know. I am lo- I'm like loving dancing so much right now, especially after COVID. I'm just like loving being back on stage and being back in the studio with all my friends. Yeah. It's like I don't know. I'm like high on that. And I don't know. So it's really hard to know. I don't really know about what the future holds. Like maybe I would want to have kids. And I think I think I would like to start a business. I see myself as the CEO of something.
0: I think that sounds correct for you, honestly. Yeah. CEO of Cat Country, uh, an interactive theme park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can my listeners follow your work on social media?
1: Oh my goodness! Um, Instagram and TikTok. It's just my name,
0: at Isabella Boylston. For those who weren't listening.
1: In case you weren't listening, it's not Hilder. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: What else? What else? Oh, yeah. You have a YouTube, no? And I want to have more cats and a golden retriever.
0: Oh, beauty. A golden retriever and two cats?
1: Uh, And I want to be, I think I want to live in the mountains. I think I I want and need to spend more time in nature, for sure. I'm a mountain girl.
0: Are you going to be Dame Margot Fontaine's neighbor? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm actually um, no not gonna do that
0: okay uh, thank you so much Cindy for joining. oh my
1: god you're so funny when you're done with something you're so done I keep trying to talk and you keep trying to leave you've done like 15 efforts at saying goodbye to me Cindy well sometimes
0: you. a podcast must end I know that you didn't want to do this podcast but then ended up enjoying it <laughs> That's
1: not true. I've been dying to do this podcast. (laughs) Oh, God. I've been positively dying.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, Cindy, I think it's time to end this podcast.
1: Oh, my God. No. Okay. Okay. Fine. I'm sick of it anyways.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for joining the front row with James Whiteside. That is me.
1: It is ye. (laughs)
0: I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but for all of you out there, you probably already had your Thanksgiving dinner and I hope it was filled with delicious food and love and friends and family. And uh, yeah, have a great night, everybody.
1: Have a great
0: night. Don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast. And if you like it, share it with your friends or on social media. You can follow me on all social platforms by searching James Whiteside. My book, Center Center, a funny, sexy, sad, almost memoir, is available everywhere in all formats. Front Row uses music from the song A-flat by Black Violin. Check out the show notes on jamesbwhiteside.com for exclusive video and audio from this podcast.